0: You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. Hey, so uh, one of the things that I find in our society is I've just noticed that people are busy. Have you noticed that? A lot of people are busy. Uh, In fact, if you ask most people how they're doing, they will respond with busy somewhere in it. And I just find it the most puzzling thing because it's like busy is not actually how you're doing, you know, like, how are you doing? I'm busy. All that means is you've found something to fill your time with. It doesn't mean it's a good thing you filled your time with, right? It's just like, and we, we almost have taken busy on as an identity in our culture. It's like, oh, like, in fact, it makes us feel good to say that we're busy. But I believe even busyness in that sense is actually a product of boredom. And I know that sounds weird to say that because boredom we might associate with just sitting around doing do nothing, but I think boredom is actually more associated with not having a high enough purpose. And so we're busy doing a lot of things, but we're yet to find purpose in them. And I think even maybe I would say of as we get a little bit older, and this is beyond the college student age, uh, we can find a lot of success and still lack significance. And that even though we've kind of caught the thing we realize is just wind that we caught and then we're chasing again and so we've got this thing of busyness and I addressed this a little bit at the retreat it was crazy uh I was at the retreat and came, get done speaking the first night and we had this, this awesome service together and I and I walk out to the snack room and the table is covered with energy drinks like, I'm not just talking like one or two or even just one brand. It wasn't just like a bunch of monsters. It was like, I bet there were six brands of energy drinks there, you know, because, you know, just in case you're real choosy about what kind of energy you want, you know? If there's a Red Bull and a Monster and if you're real clean, you get a Celsius, you know? Like, And it was like this whole table, like covered with energy. And, and isn't it wild? Like, you walk into, now, okay, so I'm going to date myself a little bit, okay? Like, when I was growing up, energy drink went, that was probably meant Mountain Dew, right? Like, it was like the dirty soda, right? Like, if, if you're really going to push the limits, you're going to drink a Mountain Dew, right? Uh, and everybody knew if they saw that, you know, you're a real junkie, right? Uh, and then, and then at one point, it become became like, oh, like there actually was a drink that was kind of more marketed towards that. It was called Surge. Anybody remember Surge? Okay? It's like, man, like... If you want to get wasted on caffeine, drink a surge, right? It was like the first that was marketing towards that. But now, like, walk into a convenience store and look around. And it's like there's a whole section devoted to what? To energy. And it's not secretly marketed that way, it's, it's overtly marketed. It's, and what is that saying? Well, It's saying that as consumers, they're trying to address a need or a felt need that we have, which is we are tired. We're just tired. And so why will we spend so much money buying something that is labeled as energy? Because we think that might fix our tiredness. And and just in case you didn't know, energy drinks will never fix your tiredness. In fact, there was people in the second, second day of the retreat that were like talking about how the night before, they're like, yeah, I tried to lay down at three, and I just laid there with my eyes open. I'm like, it's because you, you drank three Celsius at 8 p.m., you know, like, no wonder you were laying awake at 3 a.m., and then you don't sleep through the night, and then the next morning, you're crashing, and so then what do you do? Let's just hit it again, right? And then next thing you know, you're in this cycle where you're you, you you just can't figure out why you can't sleep at night. And and really, this is this is the reality for so many university students. It really is that God showed me this one. We were doing in a like a prayer season of of uh, of corporate prayer, 24 hour prayer, and uh, and I was coming in in the middle of the night, you know, like from four to six in the morning, from three to five, and and uh, and I was praying for the campus, and I was, I was looking towards the campus physically, but like I wasn't to where, you know, I couldn't see people, but I could see. You remember how this morning we kind of talked about that fourth eye, right? The fourth dimensional eye, how we can see something. And it was like I saw how many students were awake. And the, the campus was covered with students that were awake when it was dark out. And then they were sleeping their days away. And the guy was saying, this is actually, it's not just a a natural phenomenon. It's a supernatural one that, that, that their eyes are closed in the waking hours, but even they're close to my light. And then they are just awake through darkness. And, and it's all a product, I believe, of this thing that we're, we're chasing after something, Right. And, and Solomon says, you know, there's always the chase. And he says, you know, I basically chased after everything. And I found that it's all just chasing wind. It ends up being meaningless. In other words, like, it doesn't matter if you're trying to build a business or you're trying to build a a, uh, a family or whatever you're trying to build. You can build and build and build and you can chase and chase and chase. and And at the end of the day, it will all be meaningless. It's just a chasing wind. And nothing will be gained under the sun is what he says. And so I just wonder if... If we look at that and say, man, we're, we're probably missing the mark somewhere as far as finding purpose and finding rest, then, then would the word of God have something for us that would, would be giving us rest or an access point to rest that we might be missing? And, and of course, you know, like you don't have to be, be much of a Bible scholar to know that there's a word that's called Sabbath that's associated with the rest of God, right? And so everybody here has heard of Sabbath, right? And generally, we would think of Sabbath as a one in seven, right? That is, that we take one day off a week and, uh, and we don't work on that day. And then six days we work. And, and how many of you, that's kind of generally your understanding of Sabbath, okay? And, and certainly, as New Testament believers, we would have some flexibility as far as Sabbath goes, right? Because we're not rigid in an Old Testament pattern. And so, so, in the Old Testament, Sabbath would have been a Saturday, actually, Uh, And it was pretty rigid. It was like, you can't do all of these things on the Sabbath. Why? Uh, It wasn't just to take a break from what you're doing. It was to be with the Lord. It was a consecration move, right? It was about holiness. It was about being present with God. Uh, And that, that presence with God would fuel you for the rest of your week. And so we get like a little bit more flexibility with that. And I would say that first off, we, you know, we shifted that to Sunday. Uh, that's, that's really a product of the resurrection. It is like, let's have our Sabbath be on Sunday. But, but even we would say probably as New Testament believers, how many of you guys have some flexibility in your Sabbath? And you're like, oh, I might take a Sabbath on a Monday or a Tuesday. Anybody? That you're not rigid on Sunday? And this is where we, this I think is where most of us end up. And and really to say that we end up there doesn't mean that we necessarily do it, but we believe in it, okay? Uh, We don't necessarily practice it, but we actually believe in that. And the writer of Hebrews, and I I love the book of Hebrews, it, it basically is taking some Old Testament icons and Old Testament patterns and is bringing them into a New Testament light. And so, so what it says I think is this is Hebrews I think 10:25 it says the law was a shadow of the realities that are to come not the realities themselves And so if we look back at the Old Testament law, what we see is a representation, right? A two-dimensional representation, two-dimensional non-color representation, that shadow, right? Uh, That might even be askew, okay? So we've got a shadow that represents something that is a reality that was to come. And so, and then this is where Jesus steps onto the scene. He says, I didn't come to abolish any of the law, but instead to fulfill or make it full, right? And so so Jesus is saying, I'm not here to do away with any of that, including Sabbath. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to, I'm trying to give you access to the fullness of Sabbath. And so really the the walk through Hebrews is one that I would call generally, if we're discovering realities, I would call it the, the transition from what was static to what is dynamic. Does that make sense? And so let's take, Let's take temple, for example, and this would be kind of early on in Hebrews, Hebrews two, three, I believe somewhere in there that would be we in the Old Testament, in order to be in the presence of God, you had to be in the temple. Probably first would have been tabernacle, right? There would have been the Holy of Holies, uh, and that was the, the place uh, where the Ark of the Covenant was. So it was the manifest presence of God in the Holy of Holies. Outside of there would have been the holy place and the people come into, into the tabernacle to be in the presence of God and to make their sacrifices, right? And, and then that tabernacle that was the mobile dwelling place of God became a little bit more stationary in the temple and, and I would say went, took a step backwards in the temple because it went from being a mobile dwelling place of God to even a more static dwelling place of God. But this is where it says, in Hebrews, it says, but Jesus was a better builder than Moses. Jesus was a better builder than Moses. Well, Moses built the tabernacle. What did Jesus build? Well, he built a better mobile dwelling place. And that mobile dwelling place that he built was you. He made a tent in you he brought his incarnation into you and made you a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. And this is what is clearly de- declared symbolically at, at the, the day of Pentecost when it was what, what was in the Holy of Holies, in the center of that tent, that strange fire that was on top of the Ark of the Covenant was now strange fire on the top of each one of them, right? He was saying, no, you are the new Ark of the Covenant. No, you are not my throne, but I will enthrone myself on you. And so God sat down on us and we became like the place where he would dwell and, and that's so much better. And and this is where for sure, even in that we can't continue to interact with an old Testament view of temple or tabernacle. Okay. In other words, if, if this is the place where you come to visit God that is in this building or even up here, then, then look around a little bit. And realize that you are a New Testament believer and so your place to visit God is actually wherever you are and, and you and so we don't gather together probably said appropriately we don't gather together in a sanctuary we are sanctuaries that gather together that's what we are right and so that's why when we come together, it's even what I'm saying earlier, that's why when we come together, it's not I'm glad that you joined us, I'm glad that we get to get the sanctuaries together, right? Because when we all put our little fires together, it becomes a raging inferno, right? Uh, and it can not only fuel us a little bit more, but it can, it can shine out to a lot more people, and that's the beauty, beautiful part of it. Does that make sense how it works? And so, so consistently, it is, it is this pattern throughout Hebrews that is from static to dynamic, Right. And so let's take a look at what God might say here about Sabbath in Hebrews chapter three. And again, we kind of just hit the first few verses of that. If you want to grab a Bible, I, I didn't put this on the screen tonight because, well, I just didn't. And I don't really love screens that much. So I think I mentioned that this morning. And so if you've got a Bible, uh, you can take out your sword and use that. And if you don't use your lightsaber. Verse seven, chapter three, Hebrews. It says, so as the Holy Spirit says, and this is a quote now from the Old Testament. It says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. During the time of testing in the desert when your fathers tested and tried me and for 40 years saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray. And they have not known my way. So I declared on oath in my anger that what? That they shall never enter my rest. That they will never have rest, they will never have Sabbath. And what generation was that? Well, that was the generation that saw God deliver them out of Egypt, right? And then found themselves in the desert and then, and then began to complain and, and whine about what they didn't have instead of really realizing what they did have. And, and then even when they got to the, to the promised land or to the edge of that, they looked ahead and they didn't apply what was behind them to what was in front of them. And so God said, that is why I said of that generation, their hearts are always going astray. And so they will never enter my rest, And so it says, see to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful and unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. And this has to be our instruction in Sabbath. See to it, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of us has a, a sinful and unbelieving heart, okay? So there is something that can happen to our hearts that draws them away from a place of rest, and says, but encourage one another daily. Encourage one another daily. And it says, as long as it is called, what? Today, today. capital T, today. Encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. So, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if we hold firmly till the end, the confidence that we had at first, as just has been said, capital T, today. If you hear his voice, Do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those who Moses led out of Egypt? And this is where it's tracking back on who are we talking about that this curse of you will never enter my rest is associated with, right? So it says, who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those who Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry with for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And with whom with whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest if not those who disobeyed. So, we see that they were not able to enter into, the, into rest because of their unbelief. Therefore, this is chapter four, verse one. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands. Okay, so what's that saying there? It's saying it, that curse was not for everybody. The blessing of Sabbath was available to everybody. God revoked that blessing from a certain people. But he didn't revoke it from everybody. He only revoked it on the basis of a few qualifying behaviors or disqualifying behaviors. And so it's saying the promise of entering God's rest, it still stands but it's just up to us to enter into it, right? We have access to it, but we have to qualify ourselves for his rest. That's really what it's saying. And so it says, since the promise of entering God's rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. And that, that thing of can we do Everything Can we encourage one another daily? Can we do everything to make sure none of us fall short of this? That as the body of Christ, as this people group, we should not be existing in a place of exhaustion and toil. I mean, think about it. Even just go back to the garden for a second, okay? What was the curse that was spoken over man after there was the sin of, I, I want to choose for myself what is right and wrong? What was the curse that was spoken over man? What was associated with? What's that? Yeah, it was a curse of work, right? It was like, what, what was produced effortlessly. And think about it. You know, you've got a garden filled with all kinds of vegetables and all kinds of fruit that is, it's just, they're surrounded by pleasure. And God didn't have to make food taste good, but he made it taste good, right? Uh, Which is nice. Uh, And so, so there were all these things that they would, they would take and it was like free pleasure, right? And they would eat of it and then they would throw it down. And then out of that, then there would be something else that would grow up and there would be a bunch more pleasure on a new tree, right? Like this was an effortless participation in a reproductive cycle that was external, right? And then within, within woman, there was an effortless effortless reproduction cycle that was internal, right? There was a different kind of pleasure that was associated with reproduction, right? But it was an internal reproduction and it wasn't about plants. It was about images, right? It was God's image, God's image being reproduced. And so this was the place that they were in. It was like this place where they were getting to participate with internal and external reproduction inside of a covenant that, that, that had intimacy, intimacy between man and woman and also intimacy between God and man, right? And it was this effortless thing. But then they say, no, we want to define good and evil for ourselves. So God says, all right, then these are the curses. I will speak over you. And this is where we have to remember that that Satan doesn't curse anything, okay? So if you're, if you're interacting with something, you're like, oh man, this is a curse. Don't blame it on Satan because Satan didn't curse anything. In fact, you can't even find the word Satan and the word curse in the same chapter in the Bible. They're, they're not put together. Any curse that is there is a curse that came from God. God has the power to curse. Now, Satan gets his power, the opposer gets his power from God's curses, So he only has power to operate within that realm. Does that make sense? You guys track with me? Okay, so so God spoke a curse. And what was the curse? He said, as you now participate in that reproductive cycle, women internally, men externally, you will experience anguish, toil, pain, right? And it will be work. And it's not that man did nothing before that, but what man did before that, we could probably better call it stewardship, right? Or dominion. I want you to steward the earth. I want you to have dominion. And he wasn't saying, I want you to work. And in that stewardship, man absolutely had purpose. But he didn't have toil. And so the curse was that of toil. It was anguish. That what you're doing reproductively, it will now cost you something, right? And and you'll wear yourself out doing it. How many of you guys believe that Jesus came to set us free from curses? you believe that? And that there's access to a freedom. Whatever curse that it is, that there's access to freedom in Christ. Okay? So would that also count the first curse? Absolutely. So, here's the deal. If we participate in Sabbath appropriately, it means that we will actually never work another day in our lives. It doesn't mean that we won't steward something. I'm not I'm not calling for you guys all sit on the couch, right? Uh, But it means that we realize that whatever we're doing, if we're doing it with the Lord, he's actually doing it. And so it's not anguish, it's not toil, it doesn't produce the same thing inside of us. And so he wants to deliver us from a curse. And so so what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, God set aside a day and he called a day today. And he says, as long as it is today, if you hear his voice and do not harden your hearts, as you did in the time of the rebellion, during the time of testing in the desert, then I will give you a Sabbath rest. And so the Sabbath day dynamically is not just moving it from Saturday to Sunday or saying, I'm going to take half a Sabbath on a Tuesday morning, I'll get me half a Sabbath later. That's not dynamic enough. The dynamic movement of Sabbath is from moving it from one day to, well, another one day that is called today. And so our Sabbath day is every day that ends in AY. Which is every day, right? Every day that ends in AY. But there are a couple d- days that don't end in AY. Well, one actually. There's a day called tomorrow. Have you heard that one? Okay. There's another day that's called yesterday. Sabbath is not available on either one of those days because it's not called today. How can we live in yesterday? Think about it. How would we live in yesterday? How about shame? Guilt, condemnation. That's living in yesterday, isn't it? What about unforgiveness? That's living in yesterday, isn't it? Now think about it what is the most exhausting things that happen in your life? What really wears you down? Actually, it's living in yesterday, isn't it? And I think the only thing more exhausting than living in yesterday is living in that other day called tomorrow. That is fear, worry, anxiety, right? All of that is living in yesterday. And this is where when God says, I'm going to set aside a day and I'm going to call it today. And I'm going to say, you have to live in today in order to have access to me. That means that God will never meet you in yesterday and God will not meet you in tomorrow. This is why it says, do not worry about tomorrow. Why? Because today has enough trouble of its own. Right And so I don't want you to be in yes in tomorrow because for one, you're not there, but also I'm not there. I believe that God exists in an eternal now, really, that he's existing in today. Let me kind of show you how I think that this works. So it goes on to say, it says of those people that disqualified themselves, it says Uh, For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. So it says of those people that were in the desert, it says they had the same gospel preached to them as as we had preached to us. What does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean that they they heard that Jesus died on a cross and was resurrected, but they had a good news that was proclaimed to them, right? That was that good news of if you're in the presence of God, you are taken care of. And so, as long as they stayed in proximity to the Ark of the Covenant, what did they have? Well, they had everything that they needed. They had covering over their heads, right? That they had a a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And if you're in the desert, what do you need in the day? You need shade, right? And if you're in the desert at night, what do you need? You need light, you need heat. And so God said, as long as you're in proximity to my presence, you will have everything that you need. And also, there will be this weird stuff that just appears on the ground uh, that is exactly what you need for food. And, and they called it manna, which means, what is it? Because they'd never seen it before, right? And it was this magical food that, that if they just would collect it that day and not try to keep too much of it, and not try to keep too much of it, right? If they would just be happy with what they had and not try to store up and not try to look out for tomorrow, if they would just collect, but if they would collect too much, what would happen? It would rot and there would be maggots that would infest their house. And we wonder why our homes are being destroyed from the inside out. Maybe it's because we're trying to accumulate instead of just living today. Trying to live in a... De- independence rather than a dependence. So in all of that time in the desert, what God was trying to prove to them is that no matter where you go, no matter what you do, I will take care of you in every way. You will have everything that you need. And yet then they got to the edge, edge of the promised land, right? And we see that the first time they get to the Jordan River, they get to the edge of the promised land. And even though God had already peeled the fingers of Pharaoh off them one at a time with 10 plagues, right? The greatest superpower on the planet, they had already been delivered from. And they, did, they had been provided for in the desert to wear, like their shoes didn't wear out for 40 years. Like that's, that's some good sneakers, right? Like this is what they had experienced. Supernatural provision in every way. But it was like, it was just daily, and so then they get to the edge of the promised land, and, and, and then they don't have enough faith. They don't have enough belief. And so it says they had the same gospel preached to them as we've had preached to us, but the problem was they didn't combine it with faith. They stopped looking back in the right way and saying, well, if God could do this with the Egyptians, then surely whoever these people are that are in front of us, it's not a problem. And instead they got self-focused. And it says says that they looked at themselves and they said, we are like grasshoppers in our own eyes. That's how they see us, the giants, but that's also how we see ourselves. We're like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And so their focus was no longer on God or his powers or authority because they lost sight of that. Their focus was on themselves. And he says, and in that, they disqualified themselves from rest. Self-focus disqualifies you from rest. You'll never rest if you're self-focused. They had the same gospel preached to them as we've had preached to us, but they did not combine it with faith. Now, we who have had have, sorry, now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said. So I declare to my oath and anger that they shall never enter that rest. And yet, listen, and yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. And on the seventh day, God rested from his work. And again, in the message above, it says that they shall never, never enter rest. It still remains that the one who will enter that, sorry, it still remains that some will enter that rest. And those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore, therefore, verse seven, God again set a certain day calling it, what? today when a long time later he spoke through David as was said today if you hear his voice do not harden your hearts so it says he's saying I know that it was spoken about this way that God worked for six days and on the seventh day God rested and that's where we got our one in seven pattern right but the implication here is what happened on the eighth day did God go back to work Did God go back to work on the eighth day? No. God is in still the place of rest. And so where is God? God's still on the seventh day. And that day is called today. And that's the only place that God is. The only place that he is. And so here's our qualifiers. If we're going to qualify for rest... These are our qualifiers, and this is what we get from this scripture. If we want this dynamic rest that is not, and and hear me, I'm not saying that it's doing away with the one in seven pattern, okay, in the way that Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law. I'm saying it takes that one, one in seven pattern and it adds something to it that fills it up. OK, in other words, that so we don't have to take six days and just anguish and toil. And you guys know what I'm talking about. That is like, I just got to get to the weekend. You know what I'm talking about? And then if it's not, if it's the weekend wasn't enough, I just got to get to the next break. Or if you're a student, man, if I could just get to Christmas break. And then after that, oh, if I could just get to spring break, if it's, I could just get to summer break. And we live our lives just waiting for tomorrow, anguishing in today. And we're wishing our lives away. And just like Solomon says, time is gonna march. You're not gonna speed it up, you're not gonna slow it down, so quit fighting it. You can't speed it up, you can't slow it down. Just live present in today. So qualifiers, number one, and this is is what I would like to, as we're spending time in the presence of God, of which uh, we're gonna have time to do that in just a little bit, and we're gonna have time to look into the face of God. And what I believe is when we're looking into the face of God, we will also see a mirror, okay? And God will give us a true, a true reflection of ourselves. And, and that will be both what he affirms inside of us, but it'll also be what he's saying. I want you to change in this. It will be what he convicts inside of us. So as we're sitting in the, in the presence of God, I want us to look and I want us to see, see the reality that was to come. And in that, to see a reflection of ourselves. And so I wanna, I wanna ask you this question first. Are there, are there times or are there ways that you're living in yesterday or that you're living in tomorrow? Because living in yesterday and tomorrow will disqualify you from God's rest, okay? So that's the first thing. So that would include, is there unforgiveness in your life? Unforgiveness towards other people? Or even unforgiveness towards yourself? That would manifest probably more in condemnation and shame. Are the things that you look back with and you're just filled with, with regret? That God wants to deliver you tonight from regret. You cannot live in yesterday and experience God's rest. On the other side, are you living in tomorrow? And, and some of you are like me. You're like, I'll just take it as it comes, okay? And the others of you are like, I gotta have a plan, right? I gotta have a plan. And this is where James speaks to this. He says, listen, it's fine to have a plan, but you just have to say, if the Lord wills it. In other words, your plan is, is all subjective, right? Like, leave it up to God. Like, apply yourself to it, but then leave it up to God and just trust in Him. And so, but if you're in a place of, like, my plan is my control, if you're trying to be in control, you'll be exhausted. Because there's actually only two constants in the world. I don't know if you knew this. You know what they are? The first one is God, the second one is change. There's only two things that are constant. And so if we're trying to control things, you're not gonna control God, and you're not gonna control change, it's constantly changing. So how are we living in tomorrow? And how do we need to repent from that? Okay, First two questions. Third one, it says, today, if you hear his voice, if we listen to other people's voices above the voice of God, we'll be exhausted. This is so much of what's happening on social media, for sure, That's like it's listening to other voices. And, it's, and it's so often, it, it, it reflects back onto us as the voice of comparison. That like, wow, their life that they're living, is just amazing. I, I got news for you, it's not real. You realize that, right? That the life that people post on social media, it's not real. It's just virtual. That's why everybody takes photos like this. Let me get my chin up in the air. And the voice of others—if you listen to the voice of others over the voice of God, you'll never rest. If you listen to the voice of culture over the voice of God, you'll never rest. If you don't hear His voice, if if you don't every day, every day this call today, if you don't hear from the Lord from His word, you will not rest rest won't be available to you. Do you hear his voice and do you hear none other voice? Or maybe better said, does his voice put every other voice back into perspective for you? Does that make sense? That's the third question. So today, if you hear his voice, and then it says, and if you do not harden your hearts. Now, I, w- I would put two things with hardening of heart. Uh, the first one has to do still, probably with harden our hearts towards each other, which probably links back in with that unforgiveness thing that we talked about earlier, okay? But we can't we can't have a hardness of heart towards other people, uh, or even to the world around us, as though like, oh man, yeah, like I, I'm not even gonna assign that to peep to a person, but I'm, I've got a hardness of heart towards humanity, or to, towards kind of the direction that we're going. The, the other thing I think is probably more contextual to the hardness of heart has to do with when God does something and He He does something inside of His plan, but it wasn't your plan. It's like, ah, uh, God promised me that He was gonna take me into the promised land. And here I am in the desert. And I was not expecting desert, even though I've got supernatural provision all around me, this is not what I expected. And whenever our expectations are not met by God, then we can have a hardness of heart that develops, that is either I'm going to now be frustrated with God, or I'm gonna stop hoping for myself. And whenever you get to the place where your heart is hardened, you'll never rest. So today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. And then then we have to have this last thing. Uh, And I want to ask you if you have hope and if you participate with hope. And and this is where I said to the students, uh, it's really hard to have hope when you get up and the first thing that you do is look at your cell phone. And death scroll. Because there's very little hopeful things that come across to you in that. And we have to, listen, this is who we are as the people of God. We are people of hope. We have to be. Because in order to have faith, an essential element of faith, we talked about this this morning, essential element of faith is hope. And so do we have hope that produces action? Okay, Hope that produces action. That is, God, this is what I believe that you can do and I'm going to apply, apply myself to that. So those are the things I want you to consider. God wants us all, in fact, he says we should encourage one another daily as long as it is today. We should, he says we should make every effort that not one of us would fall short of this promise, the promise of rest. And so let's search our hearts before the Lord and just say, God, is there any way that I'm falling short of this? Because the promise still stands, That as God's people, we will be a people of rest as long as we don't disqualify ourselves. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.